cool breeze blowing across the water. And it was welcome on your tired, sore muscles. You just went through quite a night out on the sea. And in the storm, you thought you were going to die. Your boat was filling up with water. Um, And Jesus stood up and he calmed the storm with his words. And now you're, you're, you're basically continuing across this sea. You're tired. The sun's beginning to come up. And this cool breeze is blowing across the water. On this morning, there's also fog, a dense fog that, that, that covers the sea and the lake. Um, and there's a stillness and a calmness, but you welcome it. And as your boat continues to smoothly glide across the water, suddenly... There's this inhumane cry that echoes out across the water. All the hair on your arms and your neck begins to stand up, and you hear it again. Everything inside of you wants to stop this boat from moving forward, from moving towards the shore, the direction this scream came from, but the boat continues to move. You hear it again. It doesn't sound human. But there's a tinge of humanity to it. You and the rest of the disciples are kind of looking at each other like, are we really doing this? And everyone looks over at Jesus and as normal, he has a calm, relaxed look on his face. And he asks you, please land the boat. You and the disciples continue to guide the boat towards the shore. And as you get closer and closer, the fog begins to dissipate and clear, and you realize you are landing in a graveyard. The tombs are before you. The boat hits the beach. You all get out very slowly and gingerly, and you hold on to your oar in case you need it as a weapon. And everyone begins to kind of walk, and you hear that shriek again. And the next thing you know, this wild, naked, unkept man, covered in head to toe from scars, beelines towards your group. You and the rest of the disciples all back up, and you have your oar, and now it's a baseball bat, and you're in your defensive posture. And as you as the rest of the disciples kind of cower back towards the boat, Jesus steps towards the man that everyone else is afraid of. Jesus walks towards this man as he runs down here and hurls himself at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says to him, come out of him, you impure spirit. And this man shrieks and yells back at Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you want to do with me? Do not not torture me. With this, your hands and your grip on the paddle as your sweaty palms begin to make it more difficult to grab because you're so overcome by the fear of this moment. And Jesus, once again, is not even the slightest bit afraid. And he looks this man in the eye and he says, what is your name? And the response that comes out of his mouth is this. I am legion. For we are many. You see, the response that comes out of this mouth is not the response from the man. It's a response from the thousands of evil spirits that torment him. A legion is 4,000 to 6,000 men in the Roman army. And at this, the, 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 the voice that's speaking to Jesus begins to beg Jesus, 
Do, do not send us away from here. Do not send us out of this country. And they begin to, to plead with Jesus not to send them away. And they said, please, oh, over there on the hillside, which was covered in, in pigs that were being herded over there. He said, please, let us go into the pigs. And Jesus says, that's fine, go. And in an instant, the thousands of evil spirits that have tormented this man leave him and go over to the pigs in the side, on this hillside, and all of a sudden, horrid, inhumane noises begin, snorts and all these things begin to happen, and this entire herd of pigs turns and runs down the hill and drowns themselves in the sea. These animals were unwilling to live for 30 seconds with a fraction of what this man has endured for years. At this, the people who who are hurting the pigs take off. They run into town to let people know what they just saw. That they get as many people as they can, and before you know it, there's a huge crowd of people that are coming back out. And as they are coming back out, what they see that they cannot hardly believe The wild man who has run around their community for years, naked at times, cutting himself, uncontrolled, who's been arrested multiple times and constantly broken out of jail with supernatural strength. The guy who lives out in the graveyards and screams and howls like an animal day and night. That man, he's sitting next to Jesus by the fire, clothed and in his right mind and having a normal conversation. And when they see this, they're petrified. Because every one of them realizes that this man has just encountered a life-transforming power. And it has changed him. And now each one of them are in the presence of Jesus Christ. They're in the presence of of the life-transforming power, and that makes them feel vulnerable and exposed and fearful, and their response is, you need to leave. You need to leave. Please leave, Jesus. As you sit there by the fire, you look over at Jesus when they ask him this, and he stands up, and you can see the sadness on his face. As he tells you, it's time to go, guys. As you begin to move towards the boat, the man who has been set free from these thousands of spirits says, please, let me me go with you. I want to go with you. And Jesus holds up his hand and says, no. You are to go home. And you're to tell your family and your friends and your community all that God has done for you. You're to tell them about God's great mercy for you. The passage tells us he turns around and he goes and does just that. And Jesus and his disciples get in the boat and set back out to sea. Our passage for today is Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, 
And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. When he broke the shackles in pieces, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and fell, when, fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. The herdsmen fled and told the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it had described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they begged Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. In this passage, what we see is a theme. And it's the theme we see all throughout the book of Mark. And this theme is an encounter with Jesus. What is it like for someone to encounter Jesus? And in this passage, what we see is that what is it like for for this man who's been tormented for years to encounter Jesus? And in this passage, we see two responses of how people can respond. They can respond by faith, the the man who, who runs to Jesus, or they can respond like the community. They can respond in fear. And send Jesus away. And so we just want to dive into those kind of two responses today and think about what can we learn from them? Well, what does it mean for us as individuals to encounter Jesus in our lives? And and so what we're going to do first is we're just going to ask some questions from this passage. What can we learn about this man? What are some observations we can make so we can better basically apply this passage to our lives? And so the first observation we see is this man is from the Decapolis. The Decapolis is a rural region of 10 small little towns, and they're very spread out. So it's a very rural area. I don't know how many of you grew up in a, in a smaller town. I grew up in a town of about 30,000, and I thought that was small. I was wrong. <laughs> I spent five years pastoring um, a church that was in a town of 500 people. That is a small town. And it was, uh, it was very much a, a learning experience for me just to, to be incorporated into small town life. We used to walk around the community um, prayer walking, walking around praying that the people who lived in our community would come to know Christ. 
And it didn't matter who from my church was there with me. Every week, it was a history lesson. Whatever street you went down, you'd walk down a street, and we were like, we got to stop here. This, this is the Johnsons' house. The Johnsons have five kids. Bob was in my class. We, we played this and this and this together. They had two other kids. Two of them moved to St. Louis in 1985, and some will go, no, it's 1983. Like, oh, you're right, it's 83. They moved to St. Louis. One of them got addicted to drugs. The other one died. Uh, da, 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 da. Next house. Oh, man, this house? Oh, this is the Wilsons' house. The Wilsons, and you get their whole family history. Then you go to the next house. Oh, this house? We're going to need 10 minutes of this house because they had lots of crazy things that happened. You see, they had that small town. Is, is Everyone who grows up there, they know each other. They went to school together. Their parents went to school with their friends' parents. Their grandparents went. And in some way, everyone's kind of related. This man is from a small town in a rural community. People know him. The next observation. For years, he has lived oppressed by evil spirits. This has resulted in uncontrolled screaming day and night. He has such an inner turmoil that it says he cuts himself to try to get that inner turmoil out, which is not a new struggle, and it's something that exists today. It's a real thing, and this is what he does. Over the years, at times, he's begun to run around the community unclothed. That's why the people are surprised when they come and see him sitting at the fire. The thing that they want everyone to know is, we're surprised at what? He has clothes on. When you think about this struggle and this man, what do you think it was like to be his parent? That over the years, slowly, that sweet little boy you knew began to change. And he began to have uncontrolled outbursts of screaming and yelling and saying things that you can never unhear. What do you think it was like to be his siblings? That when you go to school, you know that all of your friends and classmates are snickering about what they saw your brother do while he was running around naked in the graveyard. You see, this man has intense relational pain and hardship and struggle. And observation number three, he lives in a graveyard. Although he is physically alive, he has resigned himself to living alone among the dead. Although he is known in the community, he has resigned himself that he will never be loved and he will never be accepted there. And so he needs to live alone. Relationally and physically, he has pulled himself out of the community. He has retreated into isolation. 
You see, far too often we can read Bible passages like this. We can go, oh, wow, a legion of demons. I cannot relate to this passage. And then move on to the next one. I mean, I can guarantee no one here has probably ever gone to a small group and studied this passage and then had a leader say, all right, well, what, what are some observations? And someone in your small group goes, I can totally relate to the guy possessed by thousands of demons. <laughs> and you lean over to your spouse, you're like, honey, get the kids, it's time to go. <laughs> no, like, so often we can read these passages and we don't think about what it's like for these guys, what it's like for the people who, who encounter Jesus. But when we think about it, when we look at the inner turmoil in his life, we have to admit that there's, there's similarities that we've experienced. How many of you have a, a story from your past that you wish knew when nobody knew? How many of you at times have fear or embarrassment that causes you to pull away from someone relationally? Because you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know how they interpreted what you did. You don't know. And so that fear and anxiety causes you to pull away relationally. How many of you have an inner turmoil, a secret that eats away at your heart and consumes your mind? Or how many of you have had a loved one or a friend who has pulled away relationally? If so, you can relate to this guy. We all can. It doesn't mean that we have thousands of demons oppressing us. It just means that we can relate to a fellow human being who longs to have a life-transforming encounter with the living God. And I love, that's what I love about this passage, is it illustrates a truth that is so often lost in the presentation of the gospel message. You see, the gospel message is that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, came down to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and that he died on the cross. He willingly gave himself and shed his blood to pay for our sin debt. And as he hung there naked up on this cross, he not only bore our sin, he also bore our shame the regret, all of these things that we've been ashamed of in our lives. He he bore that on the cross so that we wouldn't have to carry it for the rest of our lives. The gospel message is that Jesus bore our sin and bore our shame, and that's all that's required of us is faith in his completed work on the cross and repentance of our sin. And we are given eternal life. We are given this eternal relationship with him. This is the gospel message. And he also came to transform our lives today, here, now. To set us free from the chains that take root in our lives and bind us. To set us free from from the shame of our past, the regrets of things we've done. to restore relationships in our lives. That's what this man encountered. Verse 15, it says, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. When this man encountered Jesus, 
his life was transformed. Those spirits, those things that oppressed him for years and years and years that no one could send away, those spirits begged for Jesus to go easy on them. And Jesus sends them away in an instant. That is what it looks like when a person encounters the life-transforming power of the living God. It looks like a life transformed, a person who is different. But remember, there's two different responses in this passage. There's a response of faith. This man runs to Jesus. He falls down on his knees. And he is set free and he is transformed. And then there's the other response. There is the response of the community who come out and see this man. This man that they've seen for many, many years. Who's run around their community unclothed and been arrested multiple times. They were probably there one time when he broke out. When he either broke the chains or ripped the door off the jail. One of these things. They've heard the howls at night, the, the, the screams keeping them up at night awake as he's run around. They come out and they see him sitting there and in his right mind, and they are petrified at this. And they go, whoa, clearly there's a power here. He has been transformed. And in the same way, like under Jewish law, pigs were not allowed. You were not allowed to have pigs. And so by having all these pigs basically run down the hill and die, Jesus has kind of indirectly confronted that in their lives. And I imagine some of them were thinking, man, if he confronts our pigs, what else is he going to confront in our lives? And it's just that vulnerable feeling of, I am in the presence of a power that can change me, that they go, I don't, I don't want this. I cannot be this exposed I can't allow myself to be, be vulnerable in the presence of someone who, who can see through basically the walls that I put up. I'm okay. I've got it together. And when they're in Jesus' presence, they know he sees them and they can't handle it. And so they send him away. The sad reality is the townspeople are not oppressed by thousands of evil spirits, but they are slaves. They're slaves to fear. And that fear prevents them from encountering Jesus. And so they say, you need to leave. At this, some people might say, well, well, thinking about going back to the man, how, how do we know his life was really transformed? When we think about what it would have been like for him, to go through all of that, and now Jesus has set him free in that moment to have all of those voices in his head just flee and leave, and to realize, oh my word, I'm naked, and to have basically Jesus bring a cloak over and put it on his shoulders and say, here, you're dressed now. That's not who you were. That's who you were. That's not who you are. And just to sit down by the fire and realize, and and his mind begins to wander on all the things that have gone on that transpired over the last couple years. And as Jesus is getting up to to, to leave, he's going, I'm going with you. Please, let let me go with you. And what does Jesus say to him? No. You're, You're to go home to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, and you're to tell them what God has done for you. Can you imagine being in that moment going, 
go home. <laughs> I'm going to go anywhere but home. Those people know me. Those people have known me my whole life. They heard what I screamed. They heard what I said. They, they've, they, they've seen me running around the community to my parents. Do you know how badly I've hurt them? To my siblings, they are embarrassed by me. You want me to go home? No, no, no. I want to go anywhere but home. And Jesus is like, you're going to go home, and you're going to tell them what God has done for you. And what does he do? This man turns around, and he goes home. I can just imagine how much his life must have been transformed as he, as he walks back in this new cloak that Jesus and the disciples have given him, which is basically a symbol of I am now wearing the love of Christ in my life, and I'm not who I used to be. And all of these scars are no longer a source of embarrassment. Each one is a testament to how much grace and love God has poured out in my life. And from day to day, he can now boldly walk around town with a tank top going, oh, are these? Let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. You see, this man was transformed. He wasn't afraid to walk back to his past because Jesus has transformed his identity. And what I love about the Word of God is it doesn't stop there. Because a couple chapters later, in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, Jesus and the disciples, after being told to leave the Decapolis, they come back. And when they return to Decapolis, it now says in the beginning of chapter 8 that a massive crowd begins to form. And this massive crowd hangs on every single one of Jesus' words. And they stay there, it says, for three days and three nights without food because they want to be around Jesus. And Jesus says, I need to feed them. And so he takes seven loaves and he breaks them and he feeds the multitude. And in chapter 8, verse 9, it says, and about 4,000 people were present. Chapter 5, the Decapolis says, get out of here, we don't want you. In chapter 8, 4,000 people are there day and night hanging on every word. What's different? One man encountered a life-transforming power. One man came in contact with the living God and his identity, who he is, who he was, was changed. He was transformed. And because of that, his whole community was transformed. As we begin to to wrap up and close, I just wanted us to think about and ask these questions to ourselves. In what ways do we need to encounter Jesus' life-transforming power? Do you have an inner turmoil in your heart? Do you have strained and broken relationships in your life? Far too many people, although they are physically alive, have pulled away relationally from people and now live in a metaphorical graveyard alone. Or far too many people, because of fear of being vulnerable in the presence of 
of Jesus, of being exposed and having our past and our shame and our hurt. Too many people, too many of us pull away from him and don't allow ourselves to experience the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. But what this passage illustrates to us is Jesus isn't afraid of your pain. He isn't afraid of your past. He isn't afraid of your hurt. And he wasn't afraid to bear your shame so that you wouldn't have to carry it for the rest of your life. He has the power to heal it all and to take every burden that you carry. You see, the path to freedom in this life is just like that man running to the foot of Jesus and saying, this is who I am. This is what I've done. These are the burdens and the shames that I carry. Will you allow me to experience your life-transforming power? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for passages like this in the Word of God that just illustrate just the truth that you came to transform our lives. You came um, to, to set us free from our, our eternal punishment, but also to set us free from the chains that bind us here today, to heal broken relationships in our lives, to free us enough to allow us to go back home to our friends, our family, and strained relationships in the past or now, and, and be able to walk in because you and your love and your righteousness in our life so changes our identity. We just ask that today, as we just practice communion and just think about your death in our lives, that we would picture ourselves putting on a cloak just like this man, a cloak of your love, a cloak of your righteousness, and walking out of here going, I am different because I get to encounter the life-transforming power of the living God every day. May these truths define our lives. We just pray these things in your name. And for your glory, Jesus, amen.